In the series finale of the show Seinfeld, the group of friends, Jerry, Elaine, George, and Kramer, are stranded in a small town together where they witness a robbery. A man robs someone and steals his wallet, while the characters, they just kind of stand back and poke fun at the whole situation. Then, much to their surprise, they are the ones taken into custody for their refusal to help the victim. They end up in jail because this town, it turns out, has what they call a Good Samaritan Law, which requires you to help people who are in need. And as the episode unfolds, all four of these main characters end up on trial where they are accused of being careless and mean by various uh, supporting characters who appeared throughout the series. Um, now, did you know that in, in reality, all 50 states uh, here in the United States, all 50 states have what we call Good Samaritan Laws. Now, they're a little different than what happens in the show Seinfeld. These laws don't necessarily obligate us to help when someone's in danger or in need, but they do offer legal protection for people who enter in and choose to help. And that idea, this, this concept of the Good Samaritan, is based on a strong belief that we human beings share. That if a person is in danger, someone ought to assist. Someone should at least call 911. We're obligated to try to help, or at least we ought to be. Or in the case of poverty, if someone is poor uh, and needy, then somebody ought to step in and help to provide food and shelter or education, whatever it may be, to those who are in need. It may not be me helping, but somebody ought to help. Now, where does that idea come from? Well, at one level, at a very basic level, God built us this way. God created us with a deep sense of care and compassion, of empathy toward others, just part of our human makeup. But that, that base level empathy still has its limits. You know, oftentimes when someone is suffering, uh, those who see it will tell themselves, well, that person must have done something to deserve it. Uh, if I help him, I'll just be enabling him, and he'll get right back into the same trouble he was in before. Uh, or I don't have the time, the money, the resources to help that person right now. Or, you know, it, it would be dangerous for me to step in. It's too risky. Uh, it's none of my business. Uh, there are too many problems in the world as it is for me to really do anything about it. Where do you even begin? See, we, we all have empathy that's built in, and yet, strangely, the world is still a very broken place. The world at large seems to lack empathy, even though it's part of our human nature, and so here's the thing. We, we all like this idea of a good Samaritan. And yet, there aren't that many of them walking around, it seems. We all have a built-in sense of empathy, but we'll excuse ourselves from it. Or we'll pass the buck to somebody else. And, and in the end, 
this, this basic sense of empathy that God has given us, it's not enough to actually make the world the way it ought to be. And so to this issue, Jesus speaks, and he speaks very strongly. In fact, Jesus gives us what is probably his most famous parable on this issue. It's a parable that almost everyone knows and, and basically everyone agrees with, whether they're Christian or not. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's where we get that phrase from, the Good Samaritan law, the Good Samaritan who stops on the side of the road to help the person who's stranded. This is where it comes from. It comes from the mouth of Jesus himself. And y'all, this is a story that doesn't just pat us on the back for our basic uh, human empathy. Uh, in fact, it, it um, challenges our basic understanding uh, in a way that, that pushes us far beyond what most people are willing to go. It reveals something about the human heart, but it also reveals to us the heart of God. And then at the end, Jesus delivers an unflinching call to action. There is a call for us to change, to be different. So look with me at, at this story as, as to how it sets up. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, the lawyer said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now, this is, this is the setup. This is the context. This lawyer was most certainly a religious man, a very committed Jewish person. But his motives are clear to us from the beginning. He is putting Jesus to the test. He's not asking a sincere question. He's trying to trap Jesus in his words. This is what the religious leaders often tried to do. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that is a wonderful question all by itself. But understand that Jesus knows this man's heart. Jesus knows what's motivating that question. So he turns the question back around. Well, what does the law say? And the lawyer perceives uh, Jesus' question, and he answers the question correctly. It's clear to the lawyer that Jesus is not asking this man to recite the Ten Commandments. He's asking this man to boil down the law of God to the very heart of it. What is the law all about in its true essence? What's the purpose of God's law? And so the, the lawyer does it. He quotes the heart of the law from Leviticus 19. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on that right there. That's the heart of it. Live your life in covenant relationship with God. Love him and love others. Right. 
Jesus says, bingo. That's right. Do this and you will live. And, and that seems like such a casual response, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't, doesn't Jesus have anything original to add at this point? But here we see what's actually going on. Jesus is reversing the trap. The man tries to trap Jesus, and Jesus ends up trapping him. Now, it's, it, he does it in a loving way, not in a malicious way. But he's trapping this man in his own devices. You see it in verse 29. But wishing to justify himself, the man says to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? This lawyer is convinced that he's already passing the test. It's clear that he thinks already he's doing enough. He's, he's not asking Jesus about eternal life because he's worried about his standing before God. This man feels good about himself already. That's why he's trying to justify himself in his questions. It's not a sincere question. It's an attempt at self-justification, self-righteousness. This man is seeking to satisfy his own conscience, his own standing. Who is my neighbor anyway? And y'all, at this point, it's like Jesus takes a live grenade and pulls the pin. I mean, he's about to blow a massive hole in, in our religious categories, not just for the man in front of him, but for everybody for all time who reads from Luke chapter 10. And Jesus does it by way of a parable. It's what we call the parable of the Good Samaritan, something we're very familiar with, but let's look at it together. Luke 10 verse 30. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go. And do the same. Now we might be so familiar with this story that we miss this obvious bombshell right in the middle of it. The, the bombshell, the, the, the shock in this story is, is the hero. Samaritans were despised by the Jews. These were a people of mixed race. They didn't have pure blood. Uh, they, were, they had different religious beliefs that were in conflict with Jewish 
understanding of the scripture. They carried on less than admirable lifestyles. The Samaritans were considered dogs. Not cute, cuddly dogs, but, but mangy, uh, trash dwellers, those kinds of people. This is what the, the Samaritans were to the Jews. And so the, these pure and holy people, God's people, the Jews, they looked at Samaritans this way. A Samaritan can be the butt of a joke, sure. A Samaritan can be the villain in a story or a parable, yes, but by no means could he ever be the hero, the admirable one, the one we're meant to imitate. It's not possible. And yet Jesus, without any irony, Jesus paints this picture just so. You've got the priest and the Levite. These are two Jewish men who held the moral high ground here as well as the social and religious and ethnic high ground. They would have been considered better in every way, and yet they take one look at this man, this situation, and they just keep on moving. And in fact, Jesus says, they passed by to the other side. They consciously moved away from the person in need. But then along comes this hated Samaritan, who has no religious pedigree, who has no priestly office, and yet in compassion, he moves toward the man and rescues him from death. So I want us to look at this parable today from three angles, or maybe we could say, uh, let's look at it from the perspective of three different excuses. Something I alluded to earlier. Uh, that when, when we see a need, sometimes we excuse ourselves from addressing it. Um, what kinds of things might we tell ourselves in the face of a person's need that would prevent us from acting as their neighbor? Neighbor as the Bible defines it. Not neighbor by proximity, but neighbor by uh, love and care and concern. What kinds of excuses do we typically hold up that keep us from living in a neighborly way? And then in each case, we're going to see how the Samaritan counters these things. Okay? So let's think of the parable this way. Uh, three excuses we might make. We see a person in a position of need. The first thing we might say in order to justify ourselves is, this is not my problem. And perhaps that's what the priest and Levite were thinking. If I stop to help, I'm involving myself in something that's none of my business. I'm now responsible for this person. I'm entangling myself if I stop to help. And who knows how much of this person's weight I'll end up bearing. This is not my problem. I'm not obligated here. Now, you could argue that the priest and Levite were, in some sense, obligated to help. I mean, these are religious leaders. If anybody should have stopped and helped, it would have been them. But Jesus says they pass by to the other side. This is not my problem. And their, their actions reveal that mentality. But then Jesus holds forth a third person, the Samaritan. The Samaritan was a person without obligation, in this case. He didn't have to do anything. And yet he makes this man's problem 
his problem. He doesn't just feel bad feelings for this man. He doesn't feel sadness for him. He makes his problem his own problem. He enters in. See, y'all, to look at to look at someone in need and say, not my problem. That is to miss entirely the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Because that command forces us to ask the question, okay, how much do I love myself? How do I treat my own needs? And then the command comes into a new focus when we, when we look at it that way. I'm supposed to treat others with the same urgency and joy and care and love that I treat me. I'm supposed to treat them the way I treat myself. And this is what Jesus says of the Samaritan in verse 33. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. His stomach turned over, and he felt compassion, and he came to this man and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, oil to soften, wine to disinfect. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He treats the wounded stranger with the kind of love that we would all want to be extended to us in the same situation. This is how we would want to be treated if we had been robbed and beaten and left for dead. Now, y'all, here's the truth. There are far too many problems in the world for any one person to touch them all. We know that. We can't solve every problem. No one of us can do that. But that should never produce within us an indifference to the needs we can touch, to the people we can love and serve. The fact that the world is full of problems should not create in me indifference to say, any problem is not my problem. Anything, anyone I see, well, what are you going to do? The Samaritan certainly doesn't do that. He sees a need. He feels compassion. He meets that man in his need. Okay, well, there's a second excuse. It's not my problem. That's the first one. That's what we might tell ourselves. Well, the second excuse is, this, this is too costly for me, too risky, too time-consuming. And this is one that's easy to see in the story. Who knows if the same robbers who beat this man half to death aren't using the man as bait while they hide behind some nearby bushes waiting to pounce on some poor soul who stops to help him? We don't know. What if, what if this man laying on the side of the road, what if he's a criminal himself? I mean, how much of my own time and money is this going to cost me if I stop to help? It's too costly. It's too risky. You know, it's, it's possible that both the priest and the Levite, as they crossed the road to the other side and passed on by, you know, it's possible that they said a silent prayer for this man that they felt something for this man and, you know, prayed that the Lord would send someone to help him. 
but they weren't willing to risk their own safety and their own money and their own time for him. Perhaps they prayed for him, but they weren't willing to stop and do anything about it. But again, we see the Samaritan doing what? He risks his own safety. He does. To stop on the road to help this man, that was a risk. But apparently he didn't think twice about it. He risks his own safety. He uses his own bandages, his own oil, his own wine. He lays the man on his own beast, and he brings him to the inn. Is it possible that the Samaritan was heading to the inn anyway? Yeah, I guess so. But clearly he's going out of his way for a man he doesn't even know. Someone he's not obligated to. You see it in verse 35. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him and whatever more you spend. When I return, I'll repay you. Y'all, two denarii would have likely paid for about two weeks of lodging and care for this man. And if that weren't enough, the Samaritan opens up a tab. He says, Whatever it takes to care for him, charge it to my account. He's risking extortion. Who knows if the innkeeper is an honest man? And y'all, this this is a point here uh, that I personally, desperately need to take to heart. And so I share it with you because I assume you might need it too. If someone is in need, and the first question I ask myself is, what's this going to cost me? I mean, how could this endanger me? How much is this going to put me out if I choose to help? If that's, if that's my mindset, then I am not thinking with the mind of Christ. And th- those may seem to be very wise and practical considerations. We count the cost before we choose to help. Oh, y'all, but if that is our frame of mind, it starves compassion out of our heart. I mean, it just squeezes all the love and mercy right out of us. Because I I will look at that person in need, not as a person created in the image of God, but as a commodity. Is this person, is this need, is it worth my time and money? Is it worth the expense? Is it worth the risk? And the Good Samaritan does none of that. He simply lives out the heart of God. He loves this stranger as he loves himself. Is helping others risky and costly and time-consuming? Yes. But that's not an acceptable excuse in the kingdom of God. Now, here's the final excuse, the third one. Um, Maybe this person in need is an unworthy cause. Remember this. Remember the Jews and the Samaritans. They were natural enemies. For for the Samaritan to walk upon this pitiful sight, a Jewish man bleeding on the side of the road, what's stopping the Samaritan from just laughing out loud? Surely this man got what he deserved. I mean, that's, that's what many Jews would have thought had the roles been reversed if it was a bleeding Samaritan on the side of the road. A Jewish person might have said, well, he got what was coming to him. Why would I help him? This is clearly God's judgment on him for being a Samaritan. 
Or maybe, you know what, maybe it was this own man's fault that he was in this situation to begin with. How would I know? Maybe, maybe he's a bad person who got mixed up with the wrong crowd. Or maybe he's a poor person and he could never possibly pay me back. I would never get any return on this investment. Y'all, in any... In, in, the question, when I say, is this person a worthy cause? Is, is, to help this person, is it worth the trouble? You know, it, it's, it's true that maybe there are times where we see a person who's in need, and our immediate thought is, well, this person's irresponsible and careless. That's why they're in trouble. It's her own fault she's in this mess. I'm not going to bail this person out. I'm not going to reward their foolishness. See, I think a lot of times when we see someone in need, if a tornado hit their house, well, that, that's, that was, that's a natural disaster. They didn't do anything wrong. I'm happy to help. They are, they're, they're truly a victim in this case. But if they find themselves in need, and I perceive that it's because they were unwise, it, if, I, if I think this was, this was their fault that they got in trouble, well, now I'm, I'm not going to help that person out. I'm not going to reward their bad behavior. And we, we pick and choose as to who's worthy of our assistance, our love, our care, our concern. And y'all, I, I know, listen, that has the ring of wisdom and fairness all over it, doesn't it? But it still misses the whole point. Whether the person is worthy of our help or not, that misses the whole point. The Samaritan sees his natural enemy in a position of absolute vulnerability and need. And he goes to him with compassion. He doesn't wonder, how did this man get here? Did he have it coming? Did he deserve this fate? The Samaritan does not do a cost and benefit analysis. Is this person worth my time and care? No, he simply loves the man and shows him mercy. He doesn't ask those questions. They're irrelevant to him. He sees a need. He steps in in love to meet it. And y'all, as we consider the larger story that Jesus is telling us, we realize there's a, there's a great reversal that has taken place. Remember, think back to the original question. The Jewish lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? But at the end, Jesus changes the question. He asks the lawyer, who proved to be a neighbor? The lawyer simply wanted a checklist for his own justification. But instead, Jesus gives him a picture of true love on display. Who proved to be a neighbor? And you notice the lawyer doesn't even want to say the word Samaritan. He simply says, well, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. He changes the story. And he turns it around to put the emphasis on not the checklist, not the, the names of who qualify as neighbors to this man. But he points to the heart, a heart that only God can produce. And so, I, you know, as we close, I, we need to be reminded always of where this new heart comes from. To be a neighbor in this way, to be like the Good Samaritan in this case, where does this come from? How do you and I become true neighbors to everyone? Truly merciful, truly compassionate people, regardless of the, uh, the self-justifying excuses we're prone to make. 
Well, it's not merely a law we keep. Okay, Laws, even God's laws, will never make us more loving. Law is not meant to truly transform the heart. Nor is this just intuition and feeling. We all feel compassion from time to time. But we've already seen how easy it is for us to pick and choose in order to justify ourselves. A feeling won't, t won't carry us very far or for very long. And so what really changes us? It can only be the grace of Jesus. Now, the, the story of Christianity is that God has entered the world to become our neighbor. That's what John chapter 1 says. The word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Y'all, Jesus Christ became to us the true embodiment of compassion and mercy. True compassion and mercy in the flesh for us to see and touch and to experience his grace up close. Here we all were, every human being, we were helpless in our sin, left for dead, no way to save ourselves. And so Jesus came for us. He came for us. And Jesus was unwilling to say, well, this is not my problem. They sinned. They got themselves into this mess. No, he made it his problem. He made us his concern. Jesus did not say, this is too risky. This is too costly. But he poured everything out, everything, for our sake. Jesus didn't risk his life to save us. He actually lost his life. He gave his life for us. Nothing was too risky, too costly for him. And never did Jesus see us as an unworthy cause. Jesus did not look at a world of sinners and say, okay, well, for those who are willing and able to meet me halfway, to those who promise to pay me back and make it worthwhile, I'll save you. No, he looked at unworthy people. <laughs> and he said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. True mercy to the undeserving sinner. And that's a gift that we receive now by faith in him. Jesus refused to excuse himself from our predicament, but he entered in for our sake. At infinite cost to himself, he came to rescue us. Y'all, I've heard Tim Keller say this, great is the mercy God requires of you. We see that in the story. Also, great is the mercy God offers you. And that's the message of the gospel. Great is the mercy God requires of us. Great is the mercy God offers us. And to those who have tasted of the mercy of Jesus Christ to those who have received his mercy, there is no other way now for us to live except that we might become merciful people in kind. Y'all, Jesus doesn't give us this parable of the Good Samaritan just to show us how to be nice. No, he, he gives us this parable to paint a picture of true compassion 
of true love and mercy. This is a person who lives out the covenant love of God from the heart. This is what it really means to be a neighbor and to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Later on down the line, uh, the Apostle John wrote these words, and we'll close with them from 1 John chapter 4. And listen to how John just encapsulates this, this perfect heart that God has toward us and that God calls us to have now toward others. 1 John 4, 9, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. To be a Christian means we don't live with a basic element of compassion and empathy. But we now have a new heart given to us by a merciful Savior that he now produces within us for the sake of our neighbors. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray that it would be so. Father, we have this morning uh, a tremendous need, a need to look at this parable, uh, something I'm, I'm, I'm sure that we've read before and have heard before. But Lord, give us fresh eyes and hearts to see what's going on here. We are not called to pick and choose um, who our neighbor is and how we respond to them. We are not called to, uh, to justify ourselves as the lawyer sought to do. What's the basic minimum requirement of love I have to give in order for God to still accept me? Father, would you remove all that from us today and give us instead the heart of this unlikely hero, the good Samaritan, um, that, Lord, we might look at our neighbors, whether their needs are great or small, and that our heart's disposition, our posture would be Love, the kind of love that we would want extended to us if we were in need, the kind of love even greater than that, Lord, the kind of love that you have extended to us through the giving of your Son on our behalf. If we have been so um, richly loved, if we have been so um, uh, deeply forgiven, If Jesus Christ came for us, embracing the cost, the risk, the unworthiness of his creation, we didn't deserve him. Lord, if all that is true, if we've received that, then Father, make our hearts shine in that way toward others. Make our hearts 
um, like this Samaritan, that our, our, we, we, we would turn over on the inside when we see someone in need and run to them, do all that we can for them. Lord, protect our hearts from self-justification, from making excuses, from keeping at arm's length from people who are needy. Protect us, Lord, from doing a cost-benefit analysis and asking, is this worth it to me? Does this benefit me? Lord, that that is far away from the gospel of Jesus. And so, Lord, as we receive him by faith, as we thank him for his grace, make us gracious, please. That we would go and do the same uh, is what we see in this parable today. Lord, change our hearts. Um, Remove self from the center. Lord, and give us a picture of what Jesus calls us to be because he has come for us and rescued us when we were left for dead. Father, we thank you that that is true, and we ask for the the courage, the strength, the wisdom, the initiative to be good neighbors and shine the light of Jesus Christ wherever we go. And we ask it in his awesome name. Amen.